0: Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 20. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 20. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. Hi, I'm John Polstra. And I'm Tommy Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteef. And we have a special guest today. So I was talking to Tommy last night about God's love and different things, and she asked me a question about how does this all work, and I... Did not have a good answer. So I said, you know, I have a friend. <laughs> I have a good friend. He, Greg could answer that question. We should ask Greg. So she's like, well, can I come on your podcast? Or maybe I suggested you come on the podcast. So here she is. So lay out what you've been thinking about, Tommy, and, and we'll see where we can go. This is the first time we've had a guest on our podcast. So, uh, this is going to be excited. fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. My, my, um, brief background is I have been a Christian for 20 plus years, understood grace at a place called Labrie. You've probably all talked about it before. Back in 93, I understood grace. And so I was able to walk away from legalism at that point. I've been pretty legalistic. But in the last 20 years since, um, and more recently in the last year and a half, I'd say I've been thinking about and trying to get to a place of living loved. Um, It's a term I learned from Wayne Jacobson's podcast. And uh, basically that God loves me more than I can ever know. And just the way that that's been processing in my life is that I know it's something that God's doing specifically. It's not something that I can manage to figure out faster to understand. But it's basically one of those life-changing heart sinks to the floor, aha moments, and I'm in the process of waiting for that aha moment. Well, when John and I were talking last night, I found yet again that I continue to go to this place of almost parsing out what it means to be loved by God. And specifically, I was – I've been to see a doctor about something, and they said, okay, well, actually, we need to see you in the next, you know, 10 days, Uh, but schedule's pretty much booked, so we'll uh, see if we can fit you in, and in in that moment, I was actually able to not worry about it because it was pretty clear I couldn't control any of the circumstances, Mm -hmm. and it turned out that on the very last day that there was even the possibility of me seeing the doctor, they they pretty much fit fit me into her schedule, hmm. and I was so grateful because, you know, we got some more answers, felt really good about those answers, and so I got home, and I, of course, labeled it, God's taking care of me. And I immediately was sort of repulsed by that because I also told myself, well, God would have taken me. God's taking care of me regardless of whether or not the doctor got me in today. Mm. So, I continue to find myself in this place of sorting, trying to measure God's love and at the same time rejecting my need to measure because I feel like God's love exists regardless of my circumstances. And yet, I continue to find myself wanting to measure His love due to my circumstances. And I, I find myself in this constant, you know, um, I don't know how better to explain it than to accept, reject, accept, reject. It's like I, I go to this place in my brain and I immediately reject this place in my brain. And do you have thoughts on this?
0: Well, I think there was also the the other side of it, which was it's so God potentially orchestrated these events so that you could get in to see the doctor. And so when good things happen, it's God. When bad things happen,
2: well, it can't be God because God doesn't do anything bad,
0: right? So how do we how do we quote untangle all of this? Wow, <laughs> that's 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 really interesting. I mean, there's a
1: lot there, you know. Um, so uh, taking the 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 kind of going to the doctor example. Um, I mean, I guess a couple of questions that would come to my mind would be, are care and love always the same thing? Can I, as you said, as so in other words, I guess, Tommy, when you said this idea of, you know, God loves me regardless of my circumstances. And um, I guess for me, like, I want to ask you more questions, but I think maybe it would be helpful if I put a few things out and then asked a few more questions, and just kind of you know just started throwing put not throwing but putting stuff on the table here that we can kind of look at and move around and examine um, but I guess for me, on the one hand um, god's love is independent of my circumstances, but that is because I have experienced god's love in in really deep transformative, and undeniable ways. So in other words, to say and – and I'm not suggesting this is what you're saying. I guess I'm just – I'm laying some stuff out. I'm kind of um, – uh, maybe I'm mapping out maybe some of the, the – the, what are for me sort of the boundaries of this type of discussion would be that on the one hand, yeah, my – like God's love for me does not depend on my circumstances. So if I have a crappy day or if I don't get in to see the doctor or if I can't get that specialist appointment, that doesn't mean God doesn't love me. But on the other hand, um, you know, John and I have talked before about um, – we're, we're reading an interesting book that, that's sort of talking about, you know, when, when things don't work out repeatedly um, and you just sort of keep blithely moving on as a Christian. if your Christianity keeps not working out, if you keep saying to yourself, you know, I'm not really sure, maybe at some place in the back of your head you're saying, I'm not really sure about this idea of God loving me, but you keep going on and keep telling yourself, well, God does love me. You know, in other words, there's certain, there's a certain minimum threshold, and I think that's an experience, experienceable threshold that people need uh, in order for this idea of God loving them to have traction, to make sense. You know, I, I don't think it's reasonable, um, contrary to, I, I guess, what I hear in a lot of churches, to say to people, you know, become a Christian and then you'll understand how it works. And I think, well... Yeah, there's some truth there. I'm going to understand a lot more. But I'm not just going to suddenly, uh, you know, invest in something without having a sense that it's worthwhile to do so. And so particularly when it comes to love, I need something to go on. And maybe, you know, what that is for every person, how much, quote unquote, because it's difficult to quantify something like love, how much that is, I don't know. Sorry, you were going to say.
2: Oh, just that, um, yeah, and... and I think part of this whole discussion for me is that I believe that I need what I would call an aha moment, meaning God will make very clear to me His love to me in a way that really sinks into my heart. It's not just a mm-hmm. discussion that I'm having with somebody about God loving me. Right now mm-hmm. it's intellectual, and mm-hmm. I believe that God wants it to be more than intellect, and mm-hmm. that part hasn't happened for me. Um so and i ha- i'm basing my assumption that i'll have one of those heart felt moments based on the fact that i got it with regards to grace and there's no way for me to explain grace to another person and yet i get it so profoundly because it happened so profoundly for me emotionally so many years ago mm. but i think what i'm think i'm trying to parse out here is I don't believe that I can speed up the process of God making his love clear to me in my heart. And yet I do think slash wonder and believe that the questions I ask of myself or the associations I make of God, that that can, I don't know if it can hinder God's work, but I feel like it certainly isn't beneficial. So, Mm -hmm. The more I ask questions or make associations like, God loves me because I got into the doctor, I just feel like that's not true. I mean, Mm. I can't, I can't, I know that you understand what I'm saying. I don't know how, if I'm saying it very clearly. I just, I want to kind of change my associations, I guess. That's what I'm looking for, because I, I think they're harmful in the sense that they're, Untrue. Right. Meaning, how can we measure God's love for us if, we're, if our measuring stick is our circumstances? Because circumstances, as far as I'm concerned, are pretty nebulous some days. Mm-hmm. They're flighty. Our circumstances are perpetually changing. And yet, if God's love is unwavering, I guess I want to see God's love until I feel it in my heart. Mm-hmm. I want my mind to be more transformed towards seeing his love as it clearly is, which I believe has to be outside of my circumstances on some level. Certainly, he works in our circumstances because he's working in our lives. Um, but I'm I'm tired of the way I'm measuring it because I feel like there's something very broken about my measuring system. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, uh, two thoughts. One, I mean, I don't want to take you someplace you don't want to go. Um, and you mentioned that grace would be, that you couldn't define it. Um, I wonder if you had to take your best step, best stab at it, what how you would define it. Because I wonder about the relationship between grace and love and how you would see that. Um, that's one, one point. And the other point, I guess, is coming back to the kind of... Idea or question about uh, circumstances being being varied, and I would say on the one hand, yes, they are, but on the other hand, um, you know, one of the things about Christianity is that the idea of testimony, the uh, the value of testimony, is is exceptionally high, and so in that sense, um, you know, understanding God is it is definitely a, a personal. Uh, a thing, and, and we want to understand God personally, but that process of understanding is also collective. It's it's communal, and this is you know they have that this notion of the body, this notion of the church, this notion of people that gather together. And part of what we do in that process, as I understand it, is is we're we're sharing um, we're sharing we're sharing ourselves with each other, but we're also sharing selves that have been touched by God with others who seek to be touched by God, and who, who, who have been touched by God in different ways. And so one of the kind of clearer ways of saying that is, um, you know, I understand God's love as I experience it, as I read about it, as I, uh, maybe, uh, uh you know, study the Bible, but also as I hear other people telling me stories of their own experience. And, you know, again, this whole idea of circumstances, you know, I just got a parking spot I just got a doctor's appointment uh, my my child just got in to see uh the only specialist, and there was no appointment and and et cetera et cetera you know the various degrees of severity and importance to you know what we might call circumstances and and are some of those um completely arbitrary are some of those um possibly directed by God? I would say yeah both, and can I pick out the difference uh no. I, I can't pick out that difference. You know, sometimes, I I think that's part of the whole faith process, and it's also part of, part of bouncing our stories off of each other, you know, and you hear things resonate with different people, and I guess, I guess on the one hand, I, I value what you're saying about circumstances and thinking that circumstances vary, and yet there are certain core experiences that we uh, choose very much to stake our identities around. You know, and, and those experiences, where we're talking about people who are uh, Christians who are you know um, wanting to be in right relationship with God, and who are saying you know this this sort of thing that happened to me was really pivotal, and here's how I f- see God fitting into this. I guess um, I I value those. I give a lot of weight to those, or at least potential weight. You know, and depending upon who tells me the story, so I have, I have, you, know, you mentioned Libri, and we are, we have all been to Libri, and, and when I hear somebody that I really respect there telling me a story, I, I would give that a lot of weight. I might not buy into it fully, and it's not my experience, but it contributes to my understanding of those ideas, as they pertain to experience. But yet, it's not my experience, and so there's this kind of broader pool, I guess, that kind of, in other words, I guess I'm trying to make almost a distinction between our day-to-day circumstances and these pivotal moments of our existence.
0: And, you know, we're still the ones that make the call and say, hey, this is a pivotal moment. So how do you make the call? Like, how do you you look at the doctor's appointment and say, oh, or the parking spot and say, wow, that was God loving me versus, well, you know, things just worked out and they would have anyway.
1: Well, but maybe that's the difference originally between care and love, right? when God's sort of caring for me in this way and, 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 and God has an idea that maybe something should work out, I think God's caring for me too when I get a flat tire on the highway.
0: You Wait, know, so you're, just, you're, you're separating separate. out love and care as being different?
1: Well, I, I, I think so, yeah. Because it doesn't feel like, you know, in other words, maybe care is this kind of, um, and not care, yeah, I really am separating them. So care is this sort of, Greg, Greg needs some attention right now because Greg's driving into an accident and uh you know does god want people to be in accidents no and 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 i guess i guess part of this whole thing that we're looking at is also um you know we have to broaden the conversation to uh, a different sort of realm of existence and and maybe call into question how we each think about uh the kind of notion of spiritual entities so in other words i guess what i'm saying is if we view God as seeking goodness for us, as loving us, um, I think there's enough. I'm kind of hedging because a lot of people, when you talk about Satan or the devil, uh, can be completely fine with that idea. Other people can be very, who are Christians, can be very kind of skittish. And I, I'm I'm not sort of casting judgment either way. I'm just saying that I think there's enough warrant biblically to talk about the idea of an adversary, and that there's a you know um, that we live with adversity that we cannot see and that manifests itself in different ways. And wait, that there so, is a struggle going
0: on. Wait, wait, so you're saying then that in terms of the doctor's appointment or the parking spot, there's the parking spot, there's God, and there's essentially Satan? Well, I'm saying that,
1: that, there, are, that there are entities that are involved in this plane of existence where you and I would see a parking spot and a doctor's appointment or a flat tire and that there's more going on? And, and what's at play? I don't know. Do I get a flat tire because I ran over a nail and it has nothing to do with anything that, other than the fact that I ran over a nail? Of course. Could I have a flat tire as a result of God looking out for me? Maybe looking out for is better than care. There's love and then being looked out for. I don't think God needs to be looking out for us all the time. But I do think there are things that go on. In other words, I do think that there, are, there is conflict and uh, contest over people, over situations. I think that if uh, there is an adversary, and I believe that there is, that that adversary is doing everything that it can to uh, thwart the purposes of God. And I think one of the biggest purposes of God is to make manifest, to make plain and understandable and clear and experiential that God loves us.
2: And I guess I think what drives me a little nuts about these types of conversations ultimately is um, that for God to make clear that he loves us, we need to feel it, I ultimately believe. hmm And like I was saying earlier, for myself, I don't believe I can speed up that process. So, when I start to look at my circumstances and start to automatically label them like, oh, God cares about me, I automatically find myself in this tug of war because I think that... Hmm. I'm making it worse for myself, again, trying to put something to God's credit that I can't ultimately know for sure whether he was a part of it or not. because my mind is attracted to opposites and extremes and blacks and whites so the minute that i mm. say god's taking care of me my mind immediately wants to say okay well when isn't he taking care of me like i <laughs> it, it's like i miss the whole i miss the big picture which is what you're saying just now god wants us to know we're loved and my mind doesn't naturally go back to that conclusion yet i mm. think it can My mind right now wants to work out how I can see that God loves me, and um, I find that it can steer me into an abyss if I'm categorizing and marking and measuring what can't be categorized, marked, or measured in a definitive way. Do you want me to now go back and answer the question of how I define grace, or should we just bypass that?
1: Let's hold on this one for a little bit. I think the grace one's still important, but I think I see a little more clearly. And I guess the idea of speeding things up, it, I don't know that that idea makes sense in this context, though the idea of impeding definitely makes sense. So I guess there's the idea, I guess for me, I would express it as being open to and creating an environment Of openness, creating a a space of openness for exchange. And where where there's going to be exchange between you and God, between me and God, love and truth, in my view, love and truth are always part of that exchange, right? God is always seeking to interact with us on those levels, at very least. And how that love might look or how that truth might look, I don't know. Whether truth is Uh, 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 an episode or something that circumstances that involve honesty or justice or equality, Uh, whether uh, love looks like um, forgiveness or compassion or kindness or gentleness, I don't know, right? That's down to the individual and that's down to God knowing you more deeply than you know yourself. But that's twinned with God loving you more truly than you love yourself. That's this is my experience, and this is what I've tried to kind of what I build on, really. Uh, and my it's my understanding uh, when I go to the Bible, it's kind of that's that's the basis for my grad work. Those two concepts of love and truth, and um, that those are always involved in that relationship. So, in terms of, I guess, I guess what I'm hearing you say is, I desire to experience this, to feel this, to feel. I just I, I hear you saying you want connection with God. I think that's what I'm hearing. Yes, and that sounds absolutely great. That sounds amazing, right? We want we want connection with our our kids, with our spouses, with our 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 parents, with our siblings, with our friends. We want connection. Um, and and I think God is very much, if you can say it this way, in the business of seeking to make that connection tangible. Uh, and significant. And I think how that happens, you know, I think these are sort of components of what it is to be in relationship with God. And so for me, when I think about ideas like, like sin, for example, um, because God's, God's not keeping track. It's not a score thing, right? It's a sin for me, my definition of it. These are things, ways that I am or fail to be things that I do or omit to do that I'm conscious of or not conscious of that impede that relationship, that impede that love relationship. And for me, uh, when I think about um, being in relationship with God, being in relationship with someone that I love deeply, I I, I want to hang out with that person all the time. I want to do things with that person. I want to uh, I, I want to be rightly disposed to that person, and I don't want to hurt that person. I don't want to cause pain and grief to that person. And so, orienting ourselves rightly towards God is orienting ourselves towards someone that we love deeply, that we want to hang out with, that we want to be with, uh, that we don't want to injure by the way we talk or act or et cetera. And then, of course, there's just plain notions of communication, right? You know, I did find very much that when I started to pray more, and prayer was essentially... Sharing myself, and I would do this, I think, I think it can be done uh, mentally, though I would do it audibly. I would actually speak out loud to God, and that was praying. And I would uh, share my concerns and share my, my hopes and share my uh, failings and, and, and uh, my successes. I would be thankful for things that happened, you know, uh, just that they happened and whether god was uh, the director of those particular things or or behind them substantially or behind them only kind of in a you know in a in a vague sort of i you know god created the world to be a good place and goodness has come about through this world and i'm thankful for that and so i guess on the one hand i'm talking about uh, uh disposing myself rightly to god you know if i love somebody i'm not going to act to hurt them and if i have some things that i understand that get in the way of me relating rightly with God. I'm not going to do those things or if or I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll be I'll be cognizant of that. And on the other hand, praying, right? Being uh, connected with God. And then thirdly, um, it's for me, it's saying, okay, we have a we have a relationship in which you have informed me about who I am and you have you have bestowed on me a tremendous amount of love and care that I, I feel very deeply and has been very transformative. And I'm extremely excited to, uh, the, you, uh, are interested in me, not only as a person, but as me saying, it's, it's like, uh, you're in the business of doing something and you want me to join you. You want my help. You want me to be part of this. And I'm, I'm super excited about this. And, and so it's, it's also about how I direct myself and the opportunities I seek out and try to um, encourage, and the other ones I try to discourage in my life. That's that too is part of my relationship with God, because I believe, you know, other people would would um, maybe frame this under the notion of God has a purpose for your life. Well, I, I guess yeah, I I think that too, but I would say it a little differently that. That, that God desires us to be working collaboratively for the bringing about of God's kingdom, which is huge and it's wonderful. And I think that whole transformative piece has been so real for me. And so it's very easy for me to be, to pause and say, hey, you know, this, what you're doing now, you're getting totally caught up in the fact that your work day is not going too well. This is not your job, this is not your real job. It's a job you make money at right now, but this is not – and you know what your real job is. And it's take a step or two back. So the, I don't know if those three components, the kind of um, prayer and uh, orienting myself in terms of my daily actions, the things I do and don't do, to do orienting myself towards a love relationship. Um, and then also just the specific things, the kind of major headliners. For me, in terms of where I want my life to go, the things I want to contribute my time and my effort to, to you know, which clearly include my family, include, you know, my friends. And, and I don't know if that helps at all in terms of thinking about what openness looks like. But those for me are the three things that openness looks like when I think about being open to God. And I think, I think too, being being just dead honest with God, you know. I feel, God, that I am in a position where I do not yet have an experiential understanding of how deeply you love me. I don't know what it's going to take. If there are things that I'm contributing to this, I'd like those things to be out of the way. And if I'm waiting on you, um, I know patience is a virtue, but um, I'm really eager. I'm really eager. How can we how can we how can we how can we uh, chop the timeline down a little bit? You know what what needs to happen. And I don't know. You know I don't know what's going on or what might be in the way or you know what might have happened that for whatever reason you may not be perceiving to the fullest that it could be perceived. I mean, I don't know any of those things. But I do know that being completely honest with God and being, you know, I, I'm often very indignant and, and saying, you know, hey, uh, I'm not sure more, what more you want, but you've given me every single sign that the work I'm doing is, is that you're really interested in this. And you know what? If we're going to get to the next level, I'll tell you what. It's not going to happen by me. I don't have the skills and I don't have all the energy. I've tried that before. It doesn't work. I am relying on you. If you're if you're in this and I know you're in this, then please make this clear. Please accelerate this process somewhat. Give me some insight. If you can't accelerate it, give me some insight so I can be a little more patient because you know this isn't working for me. And you know, different days you have different responses to, you know, okay, I can I'm a little more patient today. I'm not patient the next day. And I, I think that, that kind of the ebb and flow of that conversation. God is, is really interested in. In other words, I would be just direct with God about that and say, literally, have a conversation with God about that as it's going on or however, you know, as and when you can. Does that make any sense or what do you think about that?
2: Well, what do I think? I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I think I've watched myself go through a series of different types of prayer Hmm. um, thinking that there was a a prayer there was like the prayer Um, and if I just kept saying those words over and over again because that was the issue the issue let's say for lack of a better example is I want to I want to live loved I want to know that God loves me okay God so, my prayer begins, okay, God, please help me to live love. Help me help me to see that. Um, and in praying that over time, it's like, well, you know, that's true. That prayer is accurate, and yet there's still something else that is more accurate. And so, my prayer would sort of shift. Um, and so, I think what I'm sort of honing in on in this conversation to some degree is the issue of impeding. Um, mm. It's... It, what resonated in what you were saying was that you orient yourself towards that which you love. And Mm. so, you know, in the context of John and I, I would, if I know something bugs him, I would, you know, work hard to maybe abstain from certain behaviors when I can, because that would Mm. drive us more apart if I were to continue to engage in certain behaviors. So I would work hard to, you know, not do those things if it was clear to me that doing them aggravated him. Mm-hmm. So, in the issue with God, I feel like I'm I'm, just an expert at discounting. And I, I'm this way across the board. So, um, you know, woke up in the middle of the night because I ultimately heard coyote howling in our neighborhood, but it sounded like a woman screaming and that sort of set me off because it's like what's happening in our neighborhood. I wasn't able to fall asleep again. Finally, after an hour of listening to podcasts and trying to fall asleep and it not working, I got up and I went into my office and I started reading my Bible. Hmm. And I I don't know my Bible very well. So, there, there are almost no verses that are memorized in this head of mine for all my years of calling myself a Christian. Hmm. And yet, it seems to me, my experience with God is He oftentimes puts – um Verses into my head to go look at mm-hmm. and um, they almost are always in the Psalms for me right now at this stage of my uh, life. And mm-hmm. so, a Psalm came to my mind and I thought, well, it's either me trying to drum up something or it's God or I don't know, a combination of both. So, I went to the Psalm and it immediately addressed an issue that's been bothering me for a while Um, that I haven't been able to solve, and I'd been thinking about this very issue yesterday. And so, when this psalm came to my mind, and I opened it, and it was like the exact word of something that was bothering me, Mm -hmm. what happened in that moment for me was, instead of being on one level completely blown away, like, oh my gosh, God, you are totally tracking with me in this issue, I instead see my failure. You know, because the psalm was talking about basically relying on God. Mm. And in in reading that psalm, I'm like, yep, see, here I'm worrying about this thing instead of relying on God and I just start to go down this rat hole. Mm. And I try to separate myself out from going down there because I'm thinking, Okay, Tommy, it's three in the morning, probably not thinking very clearly, don't draw any significant conclusions here. But <laughs> but when I come to when it comes to impeding you know in a different mindset like now it's you know in the morning and i'm a little bit more awake i look back at that psalm coming to my mind and i want to cry because Mm -hmm. i think god wanted to assure me in Mm -hmm. that moment and so i have to sit back and say god really does love me god really is attuned to everything that's happening inside Mm -hmm. of me that I'm aware of and attuned to more. But in Mm -hmm. the moment at three in the morning when he reveals that to me, I instead sort of push back and see my own failure. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And to me, that's potentially impeding God's work.
1: I think that's astute.
2: And what do I do now?
1: Well... I would wonder if talking with God about that and I'm I'm I'm, I'm not doubting that you may have already done that and may, may have done that a lot but on the one hand continuing to to talk about uh that with God and on the other hand uh yeah like going through and and maybe you've done all these processes like going, you know going through a journaling process about that and kind of identifying when those things come up or you know, um, words that you use, that you hear yourself using about yourself throughout the day that might, um, make you think of that sort of orientation you might, you have towards yourself. And then, you know, at at another time when you've got some time to reflect, asking yourself about what, what words are the opposite to those words? What, what Mm -hmm. words would contradict those? And, and, uh, when might it be useful or, you know, um, legitimate for me to use those opposite words about myself? Um, you know, I think I think some of this is about how we've been trained, in the sense of you know, brought up, uh, how we've been trained through work or or you know, formal education that we've we've had, and, and jobs depending upon how and you know, what they're like, how stressful they are, how control oriented and hierarchical they are. Um, I think all those things play a part. Um, you know, and and. I think we're all going to find that we have specific failings relative to even these, you know, what what you in retrospect see as an obvious attempt on God's part to uh, be consolatory towards you, to console you. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, this um, God is manifesting an attachment, an attunement, you know, and, and that's, I think that's fantastic. It's, those are some really powerful words that you used. Um, Yeah, I mean, how much of that, uh, what do you think about that?
2: Well, I think it's in some way wonderful that you've stated the obvious. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. I I guess I have two thoughts. One Mm -hmm. is, yeah, to start talking to God more about my penchant for discounting knowing full well that I have that penchant for very legitimate reasons, and God knows those reasons, Mm -hmm. and He's not surprised by them, Mm -hmm. and He understands how and why it operates inside myself. Um, And I fully expect Him to be—I expect that tendency of mine to be something that I can be aware of, but something that ultimately needs healing from God. Mm -hmm. So, while I am responsible for it because it's a part of me— at the same time, I can't eradicate it simply by awareness. I mm-hmm. think a deeper healing that doesn't come from me in my hard work mm-hmm. needs to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that regard, I assume that that deeper healing comes from God and God alone. And based on that assumption, it would be something worth talking to him about. And also something that he does in his time, not something that I again, can speed up Um, because my assumption is that healing occurs when God knows that we can receive it, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. I mean, I I think God's healing is outside of my understanding on some level. So, you know, He heals us, you know, when He heals us, full stop. And so, my ability to receive or reject or whatever god's mm. healing works outside of what's inside of me, if that makes sense, you know I'm not gonna stop god's healing I don't believe that having been said um this ish, this this idea of impeding mm. and you know propensities for things that impede growth um or receiving love that's just as real is God being able to heal in spite of those impediments. Mm. And so, since I don't have any sort of a formula where I can check and see, okay, if Tommy in, does this much impeding, God's healing is going to take this much more time, you know, since that doesn't <laughs> really exist, there's no way for me to measure that. The best that I think I can do is to Keep talking to God about it. Keep talking mm-hmm. to friends that know that about me that can remind me of that penchant from in myself because I won't I have reasons why I do things, and they make such legitimate sense to me that I will still do them because I'm obviously doing them for a reason.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: even when friends might point out you know my propensity to discount internally I'm like well of course I do for this, this, this and this reason Mm -hmm. and I think perhaps you know what I need to be looking at is you know on some level this is a bad habit Mm -hmm. and I might have all my reasons for my bad habit but it's still a habit and it still is ultimately working against the truth that God loves us just for Mm -hmm. who we are right where we are and I don't think I'm embracing that truth I'm not embracing the truth that we are loved right now. You know, we are loved as we are. There is nothing mm-hmm. that needs a change about us to be loved more by God. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not embracing that truth. I'm instead embracing this propensity to discount, which says, oh, I'm not that good or, you know, whatever. hmm
1: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, what? uh, I guess I think this is interesting what you said. Uh, That whole piece about, you know, being loved and and God healing, particularly God healing, and that that will take place. And there's nothing we can sort of, I, I think that we can get in the way of that. I think we can choose not to. I think we can refuse. And I think refusing is different than impeding. I think Mm. if refusing is much stronger and, 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 you know, so. um, Where's
2: that verse where it says, Lord, help my unbelief.
1: Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I think that's in the Gospels when Jesus is talking to, um, he's asking this fellow that's come to him. Whether uh, he has faith. Let me just, uh, uh, I'm just going to start up uh, my, uh, I call it Bible software. It sounds so lame. It's it's a, it's a database. I put the whole Bible on as a database. Oh. So let's just find this thing in the NRSV. Because I feel like
2: that's who I am in this moment. It's like, I, I want to believe, Lord help my unbelief. And that, just while you're looking, I'll say this. My Mm -hmm. definition of grace and what brought me to that moment of getting it was finding myself in a catch-22. I was in a lose-lose. Whichever way I turned in my mind to explain God and my role with God and how to be a Christian and accept Christ as my Savior, Mm. every single way I looked at that in my mind, I was hosed. I, I couldn't accept it. I couldn't do it and it came down to needing to basically bow in submission to God and I couldn't, you know, there were so many negative associations in my mind to bowing um, that I just couldn't do that and yet if that was what I had to do to accept Christ, then I couldn't. And mm-hmm. so, I was talking to my tutor at the time at Brie, and I said, what if the, the one thing that I have to do… To know Christ, I cannot do. Can God still accept me? Mm. Um, and th- he said, Yes, I think so. And in that moment, I, I got it because it was so <laughs> clear to me that I couldn't do what I was supposed to do. Mm. And yet, God said, That's okay. Um, and it just blew my whole world apart in a very positive way. And so, here I am again, wanting so hard to believe I'm loved, and yet not believing it for all the reason God understands. And it's like, Lord, help my unbelief.
1: Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about the, when it blew you away? What does blew you, what does that look like?
2: Literally, I was sitting in, um... Chalet Bourdainette in Greg's office, which I don't know if it's still an office anymore. And I was looking down into the valley um, mm. from Waymo, where you can see the mountains come down. One mountain almost looks like an elephant's head. Yeah, And you can see oh, that range in France quite a ways away. I can't remember the name of the range right now, but it's the Perpetual Glacier Range. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, it's between the Dents du Midi and the yes. Oh.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, I was looking, down, looking out the window and that was the view from that window. And when it was just so clear to me that I was incapable of doing what I was supposed to do and Greg said, yeah, God still accepts you. I think he still accepts you in this moment. My heart internally just went to the floor because it was just like, Tommy, you're loved. You're accepted yes you're i wish i could say it in words that match my emotions um mm-hmm. but it was just this sense of utter and complete acceptance for who i was 100% and that got associated with grace for me so mm-hmm. it's been incredibly surprising that 20 years later where i truly when when that became clear to me when grace became clear to me legalism walking away from legalism was in some ways is pretty easy because who in the world wants to live in that world once you've experienced grace like mm-hmm. there was no temptation anymore it's like i saw the two worlds so clearly and grace far outwon my heart that mm-hmm. i could easily walk away from legalism so it's been really surprising 20 years later to find that in living in grace 20 years i wasn't living in as i was being loved for 20 years meaning i've still been carrying around this baggage of unworthiness for 20 years which i didn't know you could separate out love and grace but i've managed to <laughs> <laughs> so i'm now in this place of needing to accept basically god's worthiness of me and I don't know how to receive it.
1: Well, it's 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 really interesting to me that you, when you were describing the situation of your heart falling to the floor, I believe the words you used were, Tommy, you're loved.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, but that's not necessarily what I was thinking. I don't know. Like, I, I remember the exact moment of my heart falling to the floor. Mm-hmm whether or not i was thinking the word loved or not i don't know at this point
0: mm-hmm.
2: i know i just used the words now that's why i think i'm a little surprised that here i am still not living loved when that experience was so profound and yet i associated the word grace with it mm-hmm. and not the word love with it so i didn't i didn't necessarily walk away feeling like i was worthy what I walked away with was, Tommy, in all your brokenness, you are still accepted. But that didn't necessarily make me worthy. And I think that's what's coming clear to me in this conversation, is I don't know that I have been living as if I'm worthy. Mm. And I think that that's what God is now wanting.
0: I think there's a difference too between love and acceptance acceptance is yeah we'll let you in the door you're accepted love seems way bigger than that
2: and to me love in this instance I'm realizing is about being worthy and I think that they're intricately tied in my life in my heart in my mind being loved and being worthy
1: Hmm. right that's really interesting it's almost this it's almost like it's uh, stages yeah. There's grace, but then above that, which is acceptance, but above that, there's love, which is worthiness. Does that sound? Yeah. Accurate? Yeah. And maybe that's why, uh, this is really interesting. It's, it's very interesting. Maybe that's why for me, people talk about grace and I've, I've, I've uh, and this may sound very strange to you, but I have a hard time understanding what grace is. Hmm. You know, what is, what is that, how does that work out? What is grace? They must be using it as another word for love. Why, did, why don't they use love? I don't get that. You know, like, I get love much more easily because I've got, you know, love with my children, love with my spouse. Yeah. You know, and then, then I can think about it. Oh, well, maybe they're meaning something a little bit more theological, a little bit more something unique about God. But that's not a feeling word, is it? See,
2: grace is freedom. Grace in my life is freedom. So, it... in. It was freedom from legalism. It was freedom from all the rules and regulations. It truly was living free. And that mistakes that you make, well, they're all under God's grace. So, some have bigger consequences than others, Mm. and yet they're still all under the umbrella of grace, and you can make them. You know, your life isn't (laughs) going to change in God's eyes in terms of acceptance Mm -hmm. because grace.
0: See, I always said grace is forgiveness. That was always the association for me. There was, growing up at a church, uh, Evie Free Fullerton, Charles Swindoll was a pastor. He came up with a book. I don't remember how old I was, but it was called The Grace Awakening. And there was this whole series of messages and everyone was overwhelmed with the notion of grace. And it was, yeah, it was this idea of, of freedom but i also feel like mixed up in there was also just forgiveness and then you also hear discussions today of cheap grace which is i think equiv. the equivalent there is cheap cheap forgiveness you can just do whatever you want because grace is free but i don't know about taking this off in a different direction but that was that's that's when i hear grace that's i think more forgiveness
1: i hear you saying very much the same thing both of you that those two things, in other words the freedom to to freedom from the the sort of legalism and uh, keeping the tab of all the wrong points and mistakes is very much tied in with this notion of forgiveness and kind of embracing forgiveness as a reality as opposed to just this sort of uh, uh, intellectual notion that has no uh, existential purchase on me so you know grace is freedom because em- for maybe because forgiveness is really, um, has, has real meaning in my experience, in my existence. But I can see how both of those, and I don't know if those, if you, if those, if that resonates with, with either of you, but, um, I could see how neither of those, there is this, there is a distinction then with this whole love piece. So that's.
2: Well, I've been talking to a friend regularly. We talk and pray every week over the phone mm-hmm. and, um. You know, I've been working through and thinking about this living loved message for a long time, over a year. And she recently said that for her, that it wasn't what was resonating for her. And so, we, you know, but she was feeling a little guilty, like that was, mm. she was supposed to be focusing on living loved. And I said, you know, what does resonate for you? And she said, seeing God is light um, mm. and living in the light, because she often feels pulled and and dragged into the darkness. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let's focus on that for you. Um, And so I I think what's coming to light here in this conversation for me is while the tagline, living loved, has resonated for me in the sense that God loves me exactly as I am where I am right now, um, what I think the deeper prayer for me is about worthiness. And so in that regard, worthiness is paramount to love. I think love gets cheapened in our language, in our expression of it. And especially if we try to equate it with love we've received over our life or love we've even given, it's usually often, you know, we want something in return. It's not unconditional.
0: But isn't that a known psychological construct that you can't receive love unless you consider yourself worthy Mm. i see that's really interesting i feel like i read that in a oh i can't remember the name of the book i want to say the name of the book was receiving love and i can't remember who the author was but the contention there was that if you don't consider yourself worthy or if you don't even love yourself you aren't able to receive love from other people
2: And I disagree with that vehemently, because to me, it's just another formula. And there are very few that work in this world beyond math. Math is pretty reliable. But human emotions and psychology, while you can have assurance of certain things, I just think that that's not, that can't be true for all of humanity. It just can't be true for all of humanity. So, I think that people can receive love, even if they don't feel that they're worthy, in certain areas of their life. With certain human beings, with certain situations, they can receive love. And they can give love in spite of whether or not they feel worthy. But that doesn't mean that it's across the board that they're integrated.
1: That's that's really helpful listening to the two of you. I, I like that. Yeah, okay, okay, because i would i would kind of you know one of the big experiences i have in my life is is um you know and i, th- I think my 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 spouse would be open to me mentioning this is 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 a, um, a high degree of resistance a high i put another word in there unlovable seeing yourself as lovable is required to kind of be able to receive love and i think that uh, on the one hand i would have Agreed with John, but I like how you've put that, Tommy. And I think that there are, I can certainly see cases where, uh, for my spouse, she was able to kind of receive love, uh, and, and others where sometimes with it, where it was crucial where she could not. And, uh, it's interesting to think about the differences.
0: You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 20. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at Incompatech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com. Tune in next week for a new episode.